his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This week, we're going to talk sun and delicious summer recipes. We're also going to find out how Pride Month may be over, but raising awareness and erasing stigma continues. We'll meet the new Undersecretary for Benefits from the Veterans Administration, but first meet Kathleen Smith, regent of the Shawnee Fort DAR chapter based in Plymouth. They've purchased a marker for Henry Brown. He has a fascinating story. Kathleen shares that and your invitation for August 12th. Kathleen, always love to have you here because you have so many things that are happening. All right, tell us, what is this one? It's going to be big, big. I hope it's big. I hope it's big. Thank you for having me. On August 12th, the uh, Shawnee Ford chapter of the Daughters of the American Revolution, our chapter, we're based in Plymouth. We're working with the Wilkesbury Preservation Society and the race team, which is rediscovering ancestry through culture and education, and also the Wilkesbury City Cemetery Committee. We're honoring a man. He, his name was Henry Brown. He lived from 1800 to 1884, and he's buried in the Wilkesbury City Cemetery by the side fence. And we talked about Henry Brown not too long ago. Can you give us the background about how this came about? Certainly. It was actually more or less an accident. I was looking through newspapers.com. I didn't even remember what I was looking for. This was like 2020, 2021. Just scrolling through. And I came across this interesting headline about escaped slaves. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I, was, I love history. So, it's, of course, I, I grabbed the article and I read it. And I come to find out that this woman, who was like 101, 102, was telling her the story about how her father, who was Henry, during the Civil War in the 1850s and before the Civil War, helped escape slaves. Now, the thing is, this family was African-American, and he's doing this in Wilkesbury. To the risk of his own life and his family, every single day, he risked his life to make sure these people escaped and got to freedom up toward Montrose and on to Canada. Um, he worked very closely with William Gilderslave. He didn't live too far from him. And I found out since then that, I guess, Henry came here around 1820. So he knew Gilderslave a lot longer than I realized when, I, when we first started this. So they must have been friends. And they were only like five years apart in age. So they must have been friendly somehow. And weren't they from the area over by where the McDonald's on uh, Northampton is now? Um, I believe East Northampton or Northampton Street, yeah. In the article, uh, the, the daughter says where it is. The house is long gone. Right. And there's apartments there. But but yeah, I, I was as soon as I started this, I went looking for the house, of course, because that would have been really, really, really fantastic <laughs> to have the house there because he hid the slaves in the basement. How did that work? He went from Wilkesbury and he he used the will you tell the story? How did he well, get what them he out? did was from what we can find and from what we understand from the article, he went down toward Harrisburg with his wagon full of hay and basically hid the slaves in the hay and brought them to Wilkesbury. He hid them in the house until it was safe to move them. So now here he is and you you happened to stumble across this for not even looking for anything like this. And that takes you to the Wilkes-Barre Cemetery where you find out, is there, was there, is there a marker there? No, there was no marker. We don't know if he ever had one. I mean, he was, he was very well to do. He was very well off. 
He owned property. He was well-respected. And in 1884, when he passed away, he left one of his children $750. Now, that's 1884. That's more money than I have now. Exactly. You're <laughs> yeah. right. So he was he was a, a, well, a well-respected businessman, well-known, upsetting member of the community. So I think that contributed to the fact that that's maybe why he didn't get caught. Maybe, I don't know. We're, we're, it's, it's supposition. So how did you know that that's where he was buried? Wolfsburg City Cemetery has maps and records. And Joan Cavanaugh actually helped me find his grave because there is no there is no marker. There's a little marker now because we put it there so that we could find it again. We have like a little lamp and some flowers so we know where to place the marker when it's when it's ready to be installed. Because we don't know that he ever had one, but he hasn't had one that anybody knows of. Now, what's going to happen on August 12th? August 12th. We'll go back to Henry died on August 13th of 1884. So that's why we chose August 12th. Tony Brooks and the Wilkesbury Preservation Society is going to be the master of ceremony, so to speak. And we're going to have Mayor George Brown speak. I'm speaking. Constance Wynn from the race team is speaking. Uh, she was very, very instrumental and she's been very supportive from the beginning. Uh, and I have to thank the community. The community has been outstanding. The contributions and the support that they gave to raise money for this stone, the stone cost $1,600. And the community really pulled together and, and made it happen through fundraisers, through, through I got calls and we got checks uh, left and right we can't make it to the fundraiser where do i send the money and the people were fantastic but yeah we're gonna have a little ceremony and place the gravestone it shouldn't take too long but we wanted something permanent so that henry wouldn't be forgotten because this deserves what he did he risked his life and he saved who knows how many people because these stories were never written down it was dangerous to write these down it was all word of mouth and it was all rumor really because no one really told anybody about it because it was unsafe we just happened to stumble on the article. It's the only reason we really know about it is because of that article. And is his daughter still alive? Oh, no, no. She died. She was like 102 in 1938. Oh, it was that long ago that the yeah. article was written. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was a long time ago. I have tried to find his family. I traced his grandchildren to the 30s and 40s. And the ones that I can find all died single. Now, back then, single meant you pretty much didn't get married. You didn't have kids. Right. Different time back then. So I can't find anything on any of his family. I have tracked down some family of Gildersleeve and I've reached out to them hoping that they can come because he and Gildersleeve work really, really closely together. It'd be nice to have at least one of them there. Are they still in uh, the area? I believe some of them might be um, in Pennsylvania anyway, but some of them moved out west. Like his third great grandchildren, I've traced them down and they're they're in their 80s at this point. So we're reaching out to them. This is something that you have done before, not in not just in this instance, but you've done your own tracing as far as your family's concerned, correct? Yes, but in that case, you trace it back. It's actually almost easier to trace it back because the records are already there. You're not guessing at people's names. It's already there. Tracing it forward is a little bit harder to find people that are still alive and, and here. And, you know, you have to worry about privacy and all that, too. Yeah, I've, I've traced my family back to the American Revolution. I think I have like six patriots who fought in the American Revolution that I've proven. And when we're talking about all this, it's absolutely fascinating that you're talking 1800s and here you are in 2023 inviting people to find out the history of this man, exactly what he did, and he lived in the mists of Wilkesbury. Yeah, right in the middle. And, and like I said, he was an upstanding member of the community. His obituary said he was well-liked. It was a loss to the community. He died at the age of around 84 years old. Now, he was working as a carpenter into his 80s. This man knew hard work. He was dedicated. He was committed to his community I mean, and his family. He was a whitewasher, which back in the 1830s and 40s, it was a skilled profession. You know, kind of like Huckleberry Finn, you know, the whitewashing offense. Right. That's what he did. And it was pretty much it was a skilled profession from what I can find. And he was paid very well. He was a teamster after that, which I think really helped the escaped slave situation because he had the wagon, he had the horses, and nobody blinked. Nobody, he was just going about his business. And then later on, he was a carpenter up until his 80s. So this man never stopped. It is amazing. So now when we get to August 12th, the where and the when, and do we need an invitation? You issue the invitation, Kathleen. We would like as many people there as possible. Please wear sturdy shoes. It is the Wilkesbury City Cemetery. Cemeteries can be a little uneven. 
So you have to be careful with that. Hoping for good weather. It's on Facebook. It's on the Shawnee Ford Chapter DAR page. It's Shawnee Ford Chapter NSDAR. If you put in Facebook and put Henry Brown, it'll come up. The parking situation is a little bit tricky. Wolfsburg City Cemetery, there's parking in there. Call me, message me, text me. I'm thrilled. If, if we have the cemetery fill of people for Henry, I'll be thrilled. What time? 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock in the morning. On August 12th? Mm-hmm. At the Wilkesboro City Cemetery. Can you give us an idea of, of just a visual of what it's going to look like that you have purchased in order to put there in honor of Henry? Absolutely. It says Henry Brown, 1800 to 1884. We wanted to put some of the story on because it wouldn't make sense to just have his name and dates because who's he? You just walk by it and you don't know. So what we have is we have a depiction of a man in a wagon driving a team of horses in a wagon with a hat on. It says local conductor of the on the Underground Railroad, who smuggled runaway slaves in and out of Wilkesbury in violation of the Fugitive Slave Act in the 1850s. Now, he was actually going against the law at the time because in the 1850s, they had a Fugitive Slave Act where the slave owners, at one point, the slaves, if you got out of the South, you were safe. I'm simplifying it, but still. In the 1850s, they passed a law that if they found you anywhere, they could drag you back to your owner because you were property. You were somebody's property. So if they found you in Wilkesbury and they took you back, they had every legal right to do it. So Henry was in more danger doing that. I mean, it wasn't safe to begin with. During this Fugitive Slave Act, it was more dangerous. And his daughter said in the article, she overheard the slave hunters saying, if we can get rid of Catherine, that was Henry's wife, if we can get rid of Catherine, they basically won't have a problem with anything because Catherine, his wife, was working with him. And according to the daughter in the article, Catherine would keep boiling hot water on the stove 24 hours a day in case anybody tried to get in the house as a means of defense. That's how these people lived all the time. I can't even imagine. I don't know how they slept. But you were right. He probably was able to get around it because of his status at the time, because of what he did. So that's that is just absolutely amazing. And what you have done in order to bring all this to light is also just as amazing. Kathleen, give us the where, the when, and the invitation so that everybody knows where they need to be on August the 12th. So my phone number is 570-704-9809. You can call me, text me, Wilkesbury City Cemetery. It's right next to Hollenbeck. It's August 12th at 11 a.m. in the Wilkesbury City Cemetery. I wear sturdy shoes. And please come out and support Henry because he deserves it. He deserves to be remembered for the amazing man that he was and the amazing things that he did. And the lives that he saved. And we'll never know how many. We will never know how many. Check out the Shawnee Fort DAR chapter for more information. Mark the calendar August 12th. Now meet the Veterans Administration new Undersecretary for Benefits, Joshua Jacobs. He has all the answers that veterans need. It is my pleasure to have you here and uh, congratulations on being confirmed as the VA's Undersecretary for Benefits. And Let's talk a little bit about the position that you're in, because that is a very important position when it comes to our veterans. Yeah, I, I feel incredibly honored. I wake up every day and I got to think about and work to deliver earned benefits to millions of veterans who fought for and defended this country. And uh, I get to provide uh, benefits uh, ranging from disability compensation to education to home loans and insurance. And I get to help fulfill the promise of a grateful nation. And when we're talking about those promises, there are so many things that veterans and their survivors are inundated with all the time when it comes to different benefits and the processes. And can you tell us what is new in as far as all this is concerned? Well, one of the biggest expansions of veterans' benefits in decades is something we call the PACT Act, which is a historic new law that was signed in August of 2022, and it expands access to health care and benefits for millions of veterans and survivors who are affected by exposure to uh, things like uh, Agent Orange and burn pits and other toxic uh, exposures. And it's an incredible new opportunity for us to deliver care and benefits to veterans who now have things like respiratory conditions and a variety of cancers, as well as uh, to help uh, Vietnam veterans with, who are exposed to Agent Orange and have hypertension. 
And with the PAC Act, uh, that since that is so new, I want to get it right off the top. Where can people find more information on that if they're having questions? Uh, if you want to find more information, you can go online to va.gov forward slash PACT, P-A-C-T, or you can call VA at 1-800-MY-VA-411, and you can ask any questions you have or, or seek assistance. And then finally, you can walk into one of our VA regional offices, or you can work with your local veteran service organization, the VFW, the DAV, the American Legion, or your county VSO. And if a veteran is going to be getting things ready in order to file a claim or, you know, just be able to ask more questions, what should they have on hand? Well, we are looking for any evidence of your military service. So we need to confirm that you served in certain locations and certain time frames. We need health records. And you can pull all of that together uh, if you have it readily available. VA also has a duty to assist uh, all veterans in finding those records. So if you don't have it, please don't worry. And if you're worried about the time it's going to take to pull it together, you can also file what we call an intent to file. This is effectively uh, a placeholder. It says, VA, I want to file a claim, but I need some time to pull together the information, and you have a year to do that. And then if a person is declined, is there anything that they can do? Yes. If you apply for benefits and you're denied, there are a variety of uh, options to appeal that decision. And you can go online to va.gov to pursue those options. You can call us at 1-800-MY-VA-411, or you can work with your local veteran service organization to make sure that the decision uh, that you make is the right for you and the individual circumstances. If it turns out that a veteran uh, has a condition Is there anything that may, I guess, they may have to have more information about or uh, maybe there's something that's not covered? Well, you know, the the PACT Act covers more than 20 different categories of conditions and actually covers closer to 200 specific conditions. And the great thing about the law is that it's what we call a presumptive. So we assume if you served in one of the countries in one of the timeframes covered by the PACT Act and you have one of the more than 200 conditions, we assume your military service caused that and we can grant the benefit. But just because something isn't covered in the PACT Act doesn't mean you shouldn't apply. And so we have the normal process that we can follow where we have to establish a direct service connection. In other words, we have to establish a link between your military service and that health condition. And in those cases, we we may need to pursue further evidence, but that's part of our duty to assist and that's on us as VA to help uh, pursue. And then a, a veteran should not then again stop from filing just because they think that maybe they're not able to establish all of this. Absolutely. We want all veterans who think they may be eligible for the PACT Act to file a claim. If you have questions, you can call us at 1-800-MY-VA-411. You can visit us online at va.gov forward slash PACT, or you can work with your local veteran service organization. We want you to apply, and we want you to apply before August 9th. 2023. Because if you file a PACT Act claim by that date, you have the potential to earn benefits dated back to the law's enactment, which is August 10th, 2022. And that means more benefits to the veterans who've earned them. All right. Anything that you think we may have left out that would be important for our the veterans and their families in our audience to know? Uh, what I would just add to everything we've already discussed is thank you Um, Thank you to all the veterans, the families and survivors uh, who have served this country. I I want your listeners to know at VA, we want to serve you as well as you have served us. And if you've previously tried working with VA and you've had a bad experience or you've avoided filing a claim or pursuing your earned health care, please give us a shot. Let us earn your trust or re-earn your trust. We want to help you. We want to serve you. And so please go to va.gov forward slash pact, call us at 1-800-MY-VA-411 or work with your local VSO to access the, the care and the benefits that you've earned. Josh, thank you. Thank you so much and continued success with everything that you have coming up. I'm sure that there's going to be more and hopefully we'll hear from you again. Thanks so much, Paula. I really appreciate it.
Thanks again to Veterans Administration new Undersecretary for Benefits, Joshua Jacobs. Don't go away. We're talking continuing raising awareness next on Special Edition. Next on Special Edition, Dr. Yolanda Graham, Senior VP, Chief Medical Officer, Chief Clinical Officer at Devereaux, tells us Pride Month may be over, but raising awareness and erasing stigma continues. Always a pleasure to talk with you, Dr. Graham. And this time, you know, Devereaux deals with so many different situations and a lot of it has to do with foster care. And I'm sure that over the years that has changed, especially now that we are in a different environment when it comes to identifying and people how and, and how people identify themselves. So what can you give us as far as an overview of just the changing scope of things? Well, Paula, well, first I'd like to start by saying happy Pride Month to you and those who are listening in. I think one of the most important things to be aware of is, as you said, things are changing very quickly and how individuals view themselves and each other and the sense of um, freedom with being able to claim one's own identity. And when we talk about identity, of course, there are many intersections of identity. But since it's Pride Month, I know that we're focusing on LGBTQ identity this month. And, you know, for me, Paula, I continue to learn from those who are coming up and leading the way. Because when I was growing up, things were much different around identifying yourself. And young people today really are claiming who they are and demanding to be seen for who they are. Language is changing very quickly. And um, they're demanding to be seen and have a right to be. And it is it's really my hope that these young people will not have to suffer you know, as much of the discrimination and hardships that others have suffered um, when they've been forced to live an identity that doesn't apply to them. So I, I'm hopeful, but I still know we have a lot of work to do. And as you said, I'm growing up, was the same way. Things were much different. So do you find that starting a conversation with someone when you yourself don't know, maybe don't understand, maybe never heard of any of these different types of things before, is that a good place to start? Yeah, that's a great question, Paula. And I I think it's important that all of us be prepared to have the conversation. We don't all have to be experts in LGBTQ identity, right? But we all know that it's our responsibility to educate ourselves. And there's so many ways to be educated today. Um, Google has lots of resources, YouTube, you know, their therapeutic intervention. So, you know, it really is important that as adults, we take the responsibility for making sure that we're aware. Because one of the things that we know is that one of the most protective factors in a young person's life who identifies as LGBTQ is having an accepting adult. Um, that reduces the risk of suicide by 40% in those young people. And so in order to be that accepting adult, we have to be informed, right? And, you know, a lot of people avoid the conversation because they don't want to say the wrong thing. They don't know what to say. But there's some general rules of conversation that can allow you to be an ally without being completely informed because I don't know if we're ever completely informed. I always consider myself on a journey. And, and that includes just listening to the person, uh, reflecting back to them what they're saying, validating that their feelings are valid and that what they're feeling is real, uh, making an attempt to approach them in the way that they would like to be approached, which includes you know accepting their pronouns and how they identify. So there's some real basic things that we can do to be an ally, recognizing that allyship is really important to decreasing risk in this population. And that must also play a major role, again, when we're talking about foster care, because if you're 
willing to get involved in a young person's life and take them into your own home, that must also be something that, again, you have to consider and think about because, as you said, Dr. Graham, it's a lot different than when the age group that might be looking at taking a child in who is having these different types of issues than when they were growing up. So how do you go about educating that person? Because uh, you're right. A lot of times we don't want to ask any questions because we just immediately assume we don't know and we're wrong. Right. And the foster care population is definitely at increased risk because when we talk about having that accepting adult, you know, being in foster care means you've been separated from your family. And many of these youth have been separated from their family as a result of parental you know, rejection or abandonment around their um, sexual orientation or identity. Um, this does place foster parents, I think, in a particularly unique role where they can serve as that trusting adult. The other space that's really important for these youth are um, educational spaces. You know, kids spend a significant amount of time in school, and so teachers, educators, support people can also serve as that trusting adult. And being able to be honest with the child that you may not know everything, but you're committed to learning and growing so that you can support them would be the greatest gift of all. And if you look at it then the other way as well, here you have young people who are immersed in all of this at this point in time in their lives, and they're going through these changes. So does it also work the other way as well, that when you're having these conversations, that they who are going through it should also realize that we don't know everything, even though we are the adults and we're supposed to know everything. <laughs> right. That that sounds like that would be the case in an ideal world, Paul. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think for these youth, because many of them have been, you know, bullied, they've been physically threatened, they've been discriminated against, they are coming to us usually in a place of really having fairly significant mental health needs. And so they may not be as open and understanding and embracing of our lack of knowledge as we would like them to be. And I think we have to understand why, because others who may have um, discriminated against them or harmed them in some way, you know, may look like we do. And so they don't know that we're safe. And so youth may test us to see, are we really committed? Do we mean what we say? And we have to understand that the anger or the um, fear that they're expressing is real and doesn't have anything to do with us, but that if we're really committed to them, we have to um, stay the course. And we know that, like, like I said before, the risk of suicide in this population is so much greater. It's eight times greater than the general population. And there are certain things that make the risk even higher for LGBTQ youth that have to do with intersections of their identity. And so when we put all of this together, Paula, we know that this is a high-risk population. And while it would be great if they were willing to just give everyone a chance to, to help them, they're hesitant, they're reticent because they've been harmed before. And so we have to really take that into consideration and continue to show up and continue to listen and to be non-judgmental. So what, from your perspective, can people do in order to be able to relate to all this better, whether they are thinking about becoming foster parents to uh, one of these children, whether they are meeting people in a work situation, whether they are in a school situation, even sometimes their peers are part of everything that's going on here because they themselves don't quite get it. So maybe they also are part of that too. So what, from your perspective, can we do? Paula, there are a ton of resources available to help 
everyone at any level, you know, some of these resources are directed towards special populations, such as schools, because like I said, school can be the most protective factor uh, with LGBTQ youth. And so there, the CDC has resources, including a resource called What Works in Schools, and it helps schools to establish gender and sexuality alliances and groups at school that um, for youth that identify as LGBTQ. Um, they provide professional development for school staff on inclusivity, how to identify safe and create safe spaces, and how to implement anti-harassment policies. Um, the Human Rights Campaign, which also does a lot of this work in the area, has a program called Creating Safe and Welcoming Schools to help schools along that way. And then GLSEN also, they conduct a lot of research, but provide workshops and trainings for educators and those in the community. And I know I mentioned a lot of resources um, for schools, but in terms of just individuals that want to learn more, um, PFLAG is a great place to to start. And there's a PFLAG of Philadelphia, Chester County, Delaware, and more. And really PFLAG is um, parents and friends of lesbians and gay individuals. And so you don't have to be gay. You don't have to know someone who's gay. You don't have to have a child that's gay. If you want to be an ally and learn more, that's a great place to start. Um, there are some other local resources, um, the Mazzoni Center in Philadelphia, uh, the Attic, which provides resources for youth, but also for individuals that want to learn more, the William Way LGBTQ Center, and PRISM Youth Center of Delaware County. So there's lots online, but if you prefer to go on person or virtual, most of the resources I just listed have a virtual as well as an in-person kind of support function. Before we have to wrap up our discussion, is there anything that we've left out or anything that you would like to share from Devereaux's perspective or from other perspectives? Again, because this is going it is going to become more and more prevalent, especially as people get older and as they go through, and there are a lot of older people who are also starting to become part of this as well because they didn't have the opportunity when they were younger. <laughs> That's a great point. If you look at the research, Paula, um, around coming out, one third of you don't come out as young people because they're afraid of parental rejection. And so they wait until they're adults to do so. So you're right. And many people have been living their lives married and really denying their internal identity and they're coming out at, at later ages. So I think, you know, at, at you know, Devo Advanced Behavioral Health, we're really committed to making sure that each individual that comes through our door reaches their full potential and acknowledging their identity and accepting them where they're at and then helping them to really form high self-esteem, to be able to address their mental health issues and to thrive in life. That's really our mission. And we know that 50 to 67% of LGBTQ individuals um, suffer from depression and anxiety. We know that it, many of these symptoms are not the result of being gay or transsexual or questioning, but it's really the result of society's reaction and the stigma and the maltreatment they receive. And so being able to access mental health services is extremely important. Um, the Trevor Project did a research study this year and found that 56% of LGBTQ young people wanted mental health treatment, but were not able to get it. So it's important that as we're supporting these young people, that we're also recognizing their mental health needs, that we're supporting them in getting access to resources, because while it's important that they have an ally, a person they can depend on, we also know that not addressing the underlying mental health needs really decreases um, their prognosis for wellness. And so we have to support that. And I think one of the points you made about LGBTQ adults, we do a lot of work around supporting LGBTQ youth in our spaces at Devro, including 
creating gender support plans so we know how young people really want to be supported, that we're not making um, assumptions, um, making sure that they're in a safe environment, that they um, experience visuals that represent them, that all paperwork is inclusive. So we're including all types of families and making them feel welcome. But we also do a lot to support our employees. And I think one of the things I'm most proud of is we just started employee resource groups and we have an LGBTQ employee resource group. We had our first meeting a month ago. We expected about 10 people and ended up with well over 100 people. And I think we were just overwhelmed by the desire of adults to connect and be in a safe space. And I'm really proud that we are promoting that, supporting that, and that we will be the ears listening to what they have to say about how we can do better because growth is um, a journey. Before we wrap up, can you give us a opportunity for our listeners if they have other questions? I know you gave us a, a group of different places, but is there also some place connected to Devereaux where they might be able to get more information from someone like you describing what you're doing internally that may help them in the long run? Yes, Paula, I'd encourage anyone who wants to learn more or to speak to me more about some of the resources I mentioned to reach out to us on our national website at www.devereux, which is spelled D-E-V-E-R-E-U-X dot org. One of the mistakes people often make is putting an A in the Devereux. There's no A in Devereux. But if you reach out to our national website, you'll see our banner for LGBTQ. Um, services and you'll see about us and our leadership team. You can find me there and I'd be happy to answer any questions. We also provide, you know, um, educational services and treatment services for LGBTQ youth nationally, but certainly at our local Pennsylvania centers, including our outpatient center, we're more than willing and very happy to support anyone seeking more information. It's always a pleasure to catch up with Dr. Yolanda Graham, psychiatrist, senior vice president, chief medical officer, and chief clinical officer at Devereaux. And you can find out more at Devereaux.org. Next, celebrating summer safely and delicious on Special Edition. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker worker of yours. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Coming up in this segment on Special Edition, we'll meet Chef Jamie Gwynn, but starting us off, some good summer advice when it comes to the sun from Dr. Nancy Fitch from MedExpress in Wilkesbury. Dr. Fitch, you're back again today to talk about more summer safety tips, and these are great because the sun is out and people are outside. And of course, the last time we spoke, the first thing you said was sunscreen. So... We're, we all have our sunscreen in our outdoor pack, but sometimes we stay out there too long and there are things that the sun can do to us other than just burn our skin, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, the long-term 
effects of sun are evidence of us women, you know, heaven forbid, we get those fine lines and our wrinkles, but you also have to worry about the skin cancers. So protecting yourself from skin, uh, from protecting your skin from the sun is very, very important and protecting your eyes. Sometimes we don't think about that. Yeah, the vision is very important. You know, sunglasses, sunglasses, sunglasses. Um, For someone like me, I've been told I have what are called blonde retinas, which means my retinas are a little bit lighter. Sun just aggravates me. I, I'm my glasses automatically turn because the sun just bothers me, gives me headaches, and it's just so bright. So my eyes are protected all the time. But um, you know, for those that don't mind the sun and aren't squinting all the time in it, and it doesn't give them a headache, they might not be running around with sunglasses on all the time. But it's definitely in your best interest to protect yourself from the sun, whether it's winter because the reflection off the snow. But the sun reflects off of concrete, water, sand, snow, and it can cause damage. So it's better to protect those eyes as well. Well, you mentioned running around. And when we're running around in the sun and the heat, a lot of things can happen, especially if you're a little bit older and you're outside trying to get that gardening done. So what should we watch out for there? Being hydrated and, and keeping yourself hydrated is very, very important. But you want to be on, on the lookout for signs of heat exhaustion and the worst case scenario is heat stroke. But the heat exhaustion is the first thing that occurs and being mindful and aware of those symptoms can be very important. And that's just a, a mild headache. You might start to feel a little nauseous, starting to feel a little weak, profusely sweating. Those are all signs that you need to cool yourself down. You need to cool yourself down quickly, get into a nice cool spot, get under the tree for some shade or get inside into air conditioning and get some fluids going and you should feel better pretty quickly. A lot of people are on medications so can that also play a part in how the sun and the heat affect you? Absolutely you know a lot of the medications make you more sun sensitive first of all but some of the effects of our heart and blood pressure medications can inhibit our ability to cool ourselves off. One of the ways that the body tries to cool itself down is to speed up your heart rate so that you can circulate blood to the surface faster and with the sweating and the evaporation to try and cool yourself down. But if you're on medications to keep your heart rate slow, that's not going to happen as easily. Those of us that are elderly, you know, we need to be careful as well. We don't perceive the extremes of temperature as well as we did when we were younger. Uh, You know, we all have that grandma who we see and it's 85 degrees outside and she's sitting there with a sweater and the air conditioning off because she's cold. Um, Those are the people that are going to experience the symptoms of heat exhaustion or heat stroke a lot faster because their body doesn't always sense the fact that they're getting overheated. So keeping an eye on the elderly and this, and when the weather gets really, really hot is very important. And the young children, they're the same, the same thing. They can't quite regulate their temperature quite as easily and they might not show the same signs and they're going to go from zero to a hundred really quick and they're going to show those signs not quite as quickly as well. So you need to be alert for the, the young, the little young ones and the elderly. Well, I'm in that elderly category, too, because I'm the one sitting there with the sweater on saying that it's cold and it's 95. Hotter, the better for me. So when we're when you're talking about different things like this, how would you know that someone is having a problem? Can you tell just by looking at them? Sometimes, yes. I mean, if they are beat red in the face and profusely sweating and just not quite themselves or they're looking a little fatigued. And those are signs that they're starting to head down that path and you want to get them cooled down. But eventually the body stops sweating and that's when people are going to become very lethargic and they're going to become maybe even a little confused, especially in the elderly. So, and that's when their body temperature is going to start to climb and as you would with a fever. So, you know, you want to be alert for changes in mental status. People are just not quite acting right. Lethargy. And then even vomiting and just becoming very despondent. So be alert for those kinds of changes and try and catch that long before that happens. And even before we call 911, is there anything we can do? Get them into a place of coolness, start cooling them down, and then, yeah, call 911, get them to the hospital. Anything else that uh, we've left out that you want to make sure that we know about our son's safety? Because we want to have a nice summer. 
Yeah, the sunscreen, use it, use it a lot and use it often. Um, I think the biggest thing is that people don't realize how much sunscreen they actually have to use. And I was just reading, I saw somewhere you need to use an ounce of sunscreen to cover the average adult body. That's a lot of sunscreen. That's more than I ever thought. I mean, you know, when you buy a bottle that has 12 ounces, that's 12 applications. So, you know, you want to make sure you use enough to cover yourself, use it often, reapply. And then again, the hydration. Hydration at this time of year is really, really important. Keeping yourself hydrated, especially when you're losing fluids from sweating is so important and paramount to keeping yourself safe and healthy over the summer. Respecting the sun, Dr. Nancy Fitch from MedExpress in Wilkesbury always has great tips for us. Now we're going to have a delicious summer with Chef Jamie Gwynn. She has some wonderful summer dairy recipes and you can find them all at easyhomemeals.com. Jamie, one of my favorite topics, food, National Dairy Month, all goes together. We got to fit ice cream in there somehow. Tell us from your perspective as chef and TV personality, how all this gets together. What about ice cream? You got it. And ice cream, my kind of girl. I love ice cream. I was raised by an ice cream lover. My mom is the ice queen. And yes, we are celebrating National Dairy Month, and ice cream falls into it. And by the way, you're going to get the best values on ice cream this month, so stock up. Um, but what I love, Paula, is that this gives us opportunities to explore the dairy aisle if you haven't done so lately. And if you think about your grocery store, the entire back wall has become the dairy aisle, right? It's no longer just the staples like milk, eggs, and butter. Now, according to the National Frozen and Refrigerated Food Association, the dairy aisle has evolved more so in past year than ever before. So whether you are adapting to a new lifestyle change, you're watching food trends, you have some dietary, whether you drink milk or you're lactose intolerant, the dairy aisle offers a whole bevy of really extraordinary products. There's a lot of variety and versatility, and I think the products are better than ever. So now is the time to stock up and check out all the special deals. Uh, but the dairy aisle is more popular than ever. And when we're talking about dairy, we have to include milk because there are a lot of options out there today. But milk yeah. is one of the big ones. Yeah, milk is one of the big ones. And I'm glad you mentioned it because milk is more than just what we all think of as milk today, right? My son, I have a three-year-old, he can drink you out of organic milk any day. And by the way, it's delicious. I am a milk drinker, but I buy almond milk and oat milk too. Now. Um, oat milk has a good backstory. You know that it actually gained popularity from baristas that were using it in coffeehouse Europe because it makes the best foam for a cappuccino. And then almond milk, we all know, we all love. Now you can get almond milk in every flavor today. In fact, I'm using boosted marshmallow almond milk to make the best cold brew iced coffee. I'm going to tell you about it. There really is a ordinary array of options choose from to fall in love with in the dairy aisle. And I wrote uh, five new recipes, tested and retested, and so I can humbly and proudly tell you that you can make them with great success uh, for National Dairy Month, but I'm telling you they could take people all through the summer. So the first is a honey orange wheat bread. It's a pull-apart, like a monkey bread. You make it in, let's say, a bunt pan or a tube pan, however you like. You get this fluffy, tender interior and this crispy, caramelized, Exterior, and it's made with orange juice, again, from the dairy aisle, and but it is so good. It tastes like sunshine. Uh, then, I've never met anybody who doesn't think that Eggs Benedict is the fanciest, greatest indulgence, but if you want to be a culinary hero at brunch, you have to make my overnight Eggs Benedict casserole. You never have to poach an egg again, by the way. You layer uh, English muffins with a beaten egg custard, right? Eggs and milk and all that good stuff, and lots of good butter, and Canadian bacon, and you leave it in the fridge overnight. And then the next morning, you put it in the oven, and it puffs up and bakes, and it tastes like, tastes like egg benedict. My hollandaise sauce, by the way, making the blender. Now, should we move on to lunch? Have I have I satisfied your, your cravings? I'm, I'm still waiting for ice cream, but they sound so good so far. But you, you got me, Jamie. Okay. Keep going. Ice cream's coming. Summer tomato tart. Frozen puff pastry. Three cheeses. Parmesan, mozzarella, and cheddar. And then fresh tomatoes layered to make 
what looks like a flatbread almost, perfect for lunch, perfect as a cocktail snack, perfect for a picnic. It looks so impressive that everyone will wow. That is my favorite thing to make for summer. Alongside a Mediterranean snack platter, really simple, using good Greek yogurt, a Greek feta dip, and then the coffee uh, that I promised is a cold brew mixed with toasted marshmallow almond milk creamer. Use creamer or milk or whatever milk of your choice. And then top the glass with marshmallow cream and lay it so you get toasted marshmallow like a s'more. Now, I'm going to up this iced coffee game and tell you, you can make it a float. So for you, Paula, I'm thinking we do cold brew and then scoops of your favorite ice and then that marshmallow topping and brulee it. Now we have like an iced coffee, ice cream float with toasted marshmallow. You hit okay, the good. spot. We're friends again. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you my address. You can come over anytime and show off all of these great things right in front of me, and I'll be happy to try each and every one of them. I've posted all the recipes because I do love to share, and they're at easyhomemeals.com. EasyHomeMeals.com. I want to know, hashtag Chef Jamie Gwen and hashtag EasyHomeMeals. We want to see how your overnight egg Benedict turns out. Thanks again to Chef Jamie Gwynn with those delicious summer dairy recipes. You can find those and more at EasyHomeMeals.com. I'm Paula Dagnan. Thanks for joining me on Special Edition. Thanks for listening to Special Edition a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at penfed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.